0: The information contained on the Real Health Podcast and the resources mentioned are for educational purposes only. They are not intended as and shall not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information contained on this podcast is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Information provided by hosts and guests on the Real Health Podcast or the use of any products or services mentioned does not create a practitioner-patient relationship between you and any persons affiliated with this podcast. This is the Real Health Podcast brought to you by Reardon Clinic. Our mission is to bring you the latest information and top experts in functional and integrative medicine to help you make informed decisions on your path to real health.
1: All right, everyone. Welcome back to The Real Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Lucas Timms. And uh, we are joined today by a very special guest, uh, a colleague of ours, Dr. Jeannie Stryker, who is a medical director, I'm sorry, a medical doctor and board certified fellowship trained interventional radiologist oncologist with an additional specialty in women's imaging. Um, Dr. Stryker, thank you for joining us today.
2: Oh, thanks so much! It's I'm really happy to be
1: here. We are um, going to talk a little bit today about a, uh, a therapy, a very kind of specialized uh, niche, if you will, that that you are have a unique skill set in, which is cryoablation or cryosurgery. Um, can you just start by telling us a little bit, and our audience, a little bit about what cryoablation is? what the procedure or therapy entails and the unique unique way in which you deliver it.
2: So, cryoablation um, is a technique that we've actually been using for the past 20 years. Uh, we started with the prostate and with renal cancer, and then we went into uh, different organ systems such as the liver. Um, I actually applied what I learned in my fellowship to other organ systems that we weren't currently doing back in 2010 and said, if we can do that for the prostate, for the kidney and the liver, why can't we do that for the breast and other organ systems? So I just pulled on that knowledge that I had and, um, and put it all together. Um, So cryoablation typically, you know, one of the things that we do is we use image guidance. So we have to see the tumor or the uh, calcium deposits. And then we use imaging guidance. And most of the time I use ultrasound. Sometimes I have to use CT to help guide me in. And we use two different kinds of gases. So that we use argon gas, which is a gas that causes the tissues to freeze to 40 degrees below zero. Wow. Um, yeah. And then we we freeze. So we have a protocol with the different organ systems and this is where the art of medicine comes in. So for example, if I'm doing cryoablation on, um, a breast mass, you know, I typically will freeze for eight to 10 minutes. And then the important step is when we allow it to thaw out and we use helium to increase the temperature in the body so that the, the, um, the tumor that we ablated is thawing out Uh, and that's the important process because that's when you've killed cells and when they thaw out those tumor antigens and other cells are then released into the bloodstream. So then it triggers the immune system to be aware there's trauma going on in the body. Um, And then we do a second freeze for eight to 10 minutes And the reason we do that is so that the the ice ball actually gets bigger, so we're covering more area. Uh, So we make sure that we're covering the whole lesion.
1: Sure, sure. So, and this is, there's a lot going on with this procedure.
2: Oh, yes, absolutely. Some people may may hear cryo
1: freezing and think, oh, that seems kind of simple, but there's a lot of physics and, and technology involved in this stuff.
2: Right. Exactly. And so, you know, that's why it's really important that patients send in not just their imaging report, but their images, because I look at the images and I come up with a plan, you know, do I need to use one probe? Do I need to use two probes? Cause it really depends as of the tumor. And I don't, um, I know there's studies, clinical trials going on out there where they're, they're using a different kind of gas called nitrogen. Uh, and they, are limiting it to tumors that are two centimeters or less. And I want to give patients the option. I don't care if their tumor is 10 centimeters in size, you know, because I have another technique I use for those particular patients. But it gives me the ability to determine how many probes. And with our probes, they're really unique because I can actually dial the, the diameter. Of the ice ball right if there's a lymph node that's only a centimeter in size that i'm going to freeze i can actually dial down to like 1.5 centimeters or i can dial up to five centimeters in size
1: and just to give the listeners a bit of a a picture here this is i mean you're in a surgical suite yes the patients are uh under anesthesia or not
2: they're under anesthesia they're under um deep sedation uh, propofol and ketamine, and it works really, really well for the patients. They come right out quickly. They don't have a hangover or, or any side effects, so it's really nice.
1: Yeah, that that is a real um, big selling point for a lot of people. I think a reason why a lot of patients may look at this as an alternative, you know, there's it sounds like you you, you know you've got so many. Uh, you've got a lot of experience with this, and there's so many different nuances to it. And obviously, it's something that's not new, right? This procedure, this type of therapy has been around for a while. Why do you think it is that most patients, cancer patients, of a variety of different types of tumors, never really hear about this as an option?
2: Um, because we have the standard of care, which is, you know, if you, if you have a mask, then uh, the radiologist will send you to uh, an oncologist or a surgeon. Actually, they send them to a surgeon and then the surgeon will refer you to an oncologist. And then the oncologist may refer you to a radiation oncologist. Right. So, and it's it's frustrating because they are aware of what we're doing, um, but they seem to forget that, you know, and one of the things I had brought up before when we were, we were talking on the phone, um, part of my job is to educate you and keep you safe and give you all your options. So for example, if you went to an OBGYN, you had fibroids in your uterus, which are not cancerous, they're causing bleeding. The OBGYN is gonna to say to you, depending on your age, uh, we can, you know, they can do a, um, hit what they call a hysteroscopy and they can look and they can um, they can go in and surgically remove the fibroids. They can put you on hormonal therapy. They can tell you to wait till you go through menopause, then you have less estrogen, or they can say you can get a hysterectomy. They don't. They fail to tell you that we can do a uterine fibroid embolization, where we cut off the blood supply to the fibroids. Um, and so, I'm not sure why they don't tell patients that. But my job is to educate you and give you all your options, and I tell them. I'm not going to take it personally if you don't choose to go with me. Um, right. There's a, a problem, like, say, with traveling. I'll try to find somebody that's in their area that would be amenable to doing this.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, my first time I heard about cryosurgery or cryoablation was around 2012, 2013, when I was shortly out of my <laughs> my uh, uh residency and we had a gastroenterologist uh, who did a lot of interventional procedures and he was treating esophageal tumors by freezing them and he was uh, his real interest and excitement about the cryoablation was not really just the the localized effect that you get but also the systemic effect that you get from it can you talk a little bit about how that actually works and and the science behind that
2: Yeah. so the the great thing about cryoablation versus other forms of ablation, such as microwave or radio frequency, is that because of the, the cold that's involved, um, we have found when we freeze that tumor and then when you thaw it out, that's when those the, the cells actually blow up and then they release mm-hmm. all of those cancer antigens and other um cytokines. Right it said before it triggers the immune system so the immune system now knows there's a trauma going on alert alert (laughs) right exactly and then it it uh it it sends in those you know those special forces so to speak which are killer cells the the t helper cells dendritic cells Uh, So you've got that in the tumor area and also in the um, the the local tumor environment. Right. But in addition, because it's going to the bloodstream, the job of those immune cells is to go out and search and destroy anything that looks like those dead cancer antigens.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, once you get a, A tumor, very small size, really, even a one to two millimeter tumor, it already has a blood supply, and there's already going to be some uh, cells shedding off of that and getting into the bloodstream. And so, even though things might on imaging look like they're contained to just a breast or the liver, we know that there's always going to be some circulating cells, and that's the job of the immune system and the rest of our defenses. Uh, But they're they're not always able to detect these cells, right? They're kind of cloaked sometimes, and so. This abscopal effect uh, that you're speaking of, this systemic effect that you can get by um, increasing the signals that help the the immune system better detect circulating cancer cells. That's what you're talking about, right?
2: That's what I'm talking about, and I'm glad you brought that up, uh, because that's one thing I say to patients. I have to freeze beyond the tumor because I can't see cancer cells. Right. And I wish I could see cancer cells, so that's why... I freeze beyond it because I'm assuming that there's probably new cancer cells that are in that region. They just mm. don't have enough um, number to be able to see that tumor on imaging.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's that's important. Kind of like a you know a surgeon would take you know a little bit right. wider margin. Same idea with the ice ball. You're going to freeze beyond the, the the visible tumor, and which. Make sure you get the whole tumor, but also produces more of this abscopal effect.
2: Exactly. And that's one of the reasons why I also do the uh, intertumoral injection of immunotherapy drugs uh, post-ablation when it's thought out. Because, you know, I just say, it's, it, again, it's like if you had a war, you're going to mobilize more people in a war. Um, and so you're mobilizing more of those special forces, which are the immune cells. To go out there and search and destroy, and so I always tell patients that it looks like it's bigger because number one we're freezing beyond, but number two you've got an influx of all those immune cells, so it's actually uh, going to look bigger. And you know you've got that inflammatory response. And one of the other things I tell them, for example, you know we'll do a follow-up imaging, and they'll say, "Well, I didn't have any tumors in my um, my liver," for example. Right say, well, you actually did, it's because of the abscopal effect, those immune cells have gone into that area and said, you're not supposed to be here. Right. So they were there. And then the good news is, you know, this is where, you know, patients will follow through with an oncologist and, you know, they'll do follow-up imaging and they'll say, oh, you know, right now you're, you're cured or, you know, you're cancer-free. And then, you know, six months later, a year, two years out, they do follow-up imaging. And now you have something in your liver where with the epscopal effect, we see that right away, which is good because you're not waiting two years and you can, you know, intervene immediately.
0: There's a lot more to this conversation and it's coming up right after a quick break. Today's episode of the Real Health Podcast is brought to you by the Reardon Clinic Nutrient Store. The Nutrient Store is your resource for the highest quality nutritional supplements. Every supplement in the store is handpicked by the expert medical staff at Reardon Clinic, providing you with the best quality, purity, consistency, and effective dosing available. Visit store.reardonclinic.org to shop online.
1: Yeah, yeah, which is huge. And, And like you said, to the untrained professional, they, they may look at that as a, a different story, a different process happening. And so uh, it's important for patients to understand what we expect to see from these procedures. And I love the way, so just to recap, you're, you're freezing the tube. There's a couple of freeze-thaw cycles. And then after that second cycle, you inject or uh, infuse per, uh, perfuse them with an immunotherapy agent.
2: Right. So I use the imaging that I use for cryoablation and I watch my needle go in and mm-hmm. the immunotherapy in the um, the outer portion of the dead tumor, because it's again, it's like you're you're mobilizing more of those immune cells to come in and do the job.
1: Yeah, it makes so much sense. It almost seems too sophisticated. Uh, I wonder, you know, why why are why are we not taking advantage of this? It really does. Paint the picture of a, a, a nice blend of using the best technology available with the body's ability to heal and the immune system's ability to uh, to, to do its part in the battle as well.
2: Correct. And that's, so, where, you, that's where you come in because, you know, I always tell patients, uh, you know, I'm functioning like a surgeon in terms of killing the bulk of the tumor but you still may have those circulating tumor cells and you need someone to address that.
1: Right, yeah, and we always, we always get a baseline or you know, ideally we wanna get a baseline on patients um, with their circulating tumor cells, with their immune function, with all the other markers that we like to see to make sure that going into that procedure, that ablation, that um, we have those baseline markers, but more so that we've primed people to have a great response and that the immune system and those troops you were talking about are there and and to go.
2: Right, exactly. And that's why sometimes we'll put patients on like, um, cyclophosphamide, which is, um, but a, a low dose. And what that does is uh, before the procedure mobilize more of the forces. So they have a better outcome.
1: Yeah. And that's a chemotherapy drug that's been around for a long time, but f- fallen out of favor and um, sort of looked at as sort of a repurposed chemo drug now at this point. Um, right. That's interesting I- that you use that. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about how you came to that, to to using that in your in your routine.
2: Uh, well, because I had a, a great guy who, you know, I talked to early on, you know, and he would had been doing this for a long time, you know, and and. Again, it's part of the art of medicine when you start to think about things and you're like, you know, I don't really want to go after something really big because I may I may put this patient into a crisis, uh, you know, like they call it the tumor lysis syndrome, where you have too many inflammatory cytokines that are released and it can put the patient into a crisis. But um, I was talking with him and, you know, he was doing some of the immunotherapy drugs early on. And, you know, because he's brilliant, he realized that a low dose cyclophosphamide would help enhance the white blood cells.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. And you've seen that obviously in your own practice, make a difference.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great.
1: And I think that that's, you know, my hope is that moving forward with all that we've learned, both on the traditional side, the integrative side, that that we start to look at all these things as just tools that can be used, and more getting back to that art of medicine that you talked about, where it's it's not a cookie cutter approach to everything, and and um, and we do what makes sense for each person, and every every protocol can be individualized. Um, right,
2: exactly. I don't I don't practice population based medicine, and you have to listen to the patient because some patients are sensitive, you know, or they have the um, the genomic profile. Or the right. To detoxify adequately. So you have to help them. And I, I always tell patients, we want to get as much information as we can, because there's a missing piece of the puzzle. And we want to find that missing piece, because then we have a clearer picture of what's going on.
1: Yeah, well said. Um- who's a good candidate for cryoablation? Obviously, we're talking about this in the context of of managing uh, malignant tumors. I know there's some non-cancer-based indications for it, but speaking specifically to patients with cancer, who who are good candidates for this procedure?
2: Uh, I see anybody, and I'll do any case as long as it's below the clavicle or the collarbone. I mean, I've done some thyroid um, lesions. It's tricky because you've got Uh, The carotid artery there, and you've got the jugular vein, and those are pretty. You know, you hit those; it's not a good thing.
1: Yeah, can run into some issues there for sure. So we're not just talking about treating primary tumors. We're talking about recurrences, metastatic tumors. Yes, all the above.
2: Yes, and but the one of the things that I always tell patients is that we're going to go after the primary because the primary is the is the culprit. And if you don't destroy the primary, it's going to keep releasing those cancer cells. So we can always go after, you go after the primary first, and then you can go after the secondary, which is the metastasis.
1: Yeah, I think it, it's uh, it's refreshing, but also unique to hear um, a, a doctor that has the training you have and is more of someone who's in the the operating room a lot have this understanding and this grasp of, you know, the immune system and what patients can be doing to uh, support their bodies before and after your procedure. Um, how how do you see yourself fitting into an integrative oncology team?
2: Uh, well, you know, the way I fit in is that they'll refer to me when they know that there's, um, that the tumor is not reacting to the systemic therapy and then understanding that what I do is creating really their own personalized vaccine that stays within the body. So if we were going to look at it from the standpoint of a standard of care, I would be the equivalent to a surgeon. You're like the equivalent to an oncologist taking care of the patient systemically. And we're in communication with each other. Uh, right. I just follow up with patients after procedures with the imaging in the labs Uh, You know, because things look a little distorted and most radiologists don't really know what's going on. And they may misinform patients like, oh, my gosh, it's growing, it's bigger and not understanding that a lot of that is inflammation. And as time goes on, that goes away. So that's why I like to look at the imaging myself and I go over them with the patient.
1: Yeah. And we've had a lot of patients that we've shared where I really appreciate that um, because you don't always get that follow up, even from a traditional surgeon. Um, And you work with a lot of, you know, integrative doctors, naturopathic doctors, naturopathic oncologists. Um, What has been your general uh, experience working with with more outside the box doctors like us?
2: I don't even like that term outside of the box because I just think what we're really doing is we're practicing medicine the way we were taught and it's the science and art of medicine. So we're, integrative doctors are using the tool, the art of medicine and looking at patients uniquely. Mm -hmm. And we know more about that patient because we're listening to them. You know, so I, I like working with people that are like-minded and our first and foremost, our priority is the patient. And, you know, like, how can we move together to help this patient out? You know, are we missing something? And that's where I love where I can, like with you, I picked up the phone, you know, it was a mutual patient and, you know, I had made some recommendations. You were in agreement. So when a patient hears two different clinicians that are in different parts of the country that are in agreement, it makes the patient feel like um, they're, they're being taken care of behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. That that team aspect um, and making sure that everyone's on, on the same page, that really builds a lot of confidence and trust with the patients.
2: Exactly, um, exactly.
1: And- Makes the whole relationship uh, stronger, and, and 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 the actual work that needs to be done a lot smoother. Um, so I, I just want to say thank you for being such a great collaborative type physician, uh, and being able to offer such unique skill set and treatments. I wish there was more doctors like you, um, but uh, you are a rare breed. Um, tell me a little bit about sort of where patients can. Um, you know read more about you or or your um where they can find you online
2: so they can go to my website it's strikermd.net s t r y k e r m d like medical doctor.net um Facebook and we have a instagram account so i've got images up there but the website has a lot of uh, videos so they can get an idea of what it means to do an embolization where we're starving the tumor by cutting off the blood supply or yeah. cryolation, immunotherapy. And we also have um, a couple of patients that are on the videos that gave their own testimony, you know, what what they went through and what kind of cancer they had. So... But those are the, and i I am coming out with a book I it should be published before the end of the year with my things that I've gone through, you know, the many different patients I've seen. And one of the things I wanted to bring up too, is that you know, I listen to these patients because a lot of times they teach me. I'm like wait wait, wait, what are you doing? what What's that? Let me write this down because that's helpful for me.
1: To be able to tell their patients that. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I learn things from my patients every day, and right? um, You know, I think it takes it takes the right mindset and and uh, type approach from a doctor to be willing to, you know, learn something from their patients, and so we need more of that. I'm glad to hear that that's a, a regular practice of yours. Um, Maybe just to wrap things up here, we always like to ask our guests uh, uh, this this final question, and it's kind of in keeping with the name of the uh, podcast here. But what does real health mean to you, Dr. Stryker?
2: So real health, again, it's individualized, and that's a journey that you have to take to figure out you know, yourself personally and then how you interact with your environment. So for example, you know, you find out like we talked about with the genomics and are there certain enzymes, genetic enzymes that you're missing that you, you find out you're missing those genetic enzymes. And so then it and it's not, you know, a death sentence. It's like, okay, well, like for example, if you're missing the enzyme to activate your glutathione, the good news is you can take something like S-acetylglutathione and that helps you with detoxification. And then just knowing, and I don't use this um, in the traditional form, but like, I think that part of like the blood type definitely has something to help us out with. So knowing that, because the blood type also has to do with your genes and and does your body uh, have the proteins you know, the enzymes to break down certain things. So it's like eating healthy. Is it plant-based? Is it grain-free, you know, or are you somebody that needs more protein in your diet? Definitely you need the sunshine. You're going to have to supplement today, even if you're eating organic because the soil today is depleted of minerals and vitamins that we take in. Um, also, if you've had prior trauma, I say you've got, to, you've got to find the right person to help you get rid of that, you know, trauma. Because I always say to patients, also, the body doesn't know if it's physical trauma, spiritual trauma, or emotional trauma. It just knows there's trauma and there's a memory. But if you get in there and you work on that, then that memory is either it fades away or it no longer is. So you have addressed that. Um, I mean, again, there's been healthy lifestyle in terms of exercise. And I always tell patients, do what you love to do, because when you stop moving, nothing good happens.
1: Wow. So many, so many great nuggets there. That might be one of the best answers I've heard so far. Um, thank you. And I couldn't agree more. Um, I think we'll wrap up there. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Stryker, uh, again, strikermed.net is the website, you can find her on social media. And thanks again for being with us today.
2: Hey, my pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to the Real Health Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find all of the episodes and show notes over at realhealthpodcast.org. Also, be sure to visit ReardonClinic.org, where you will find hundreds of videos and articles to help you create your own version of real health.